Hello and welcome to the Overseas Vietnamese Podcast. This is the show for the global Vietnamese community, all about Vietnamese success stories and cultural identity. We feature interesting personalities from all over the world and have them tell us about their life stories, perspectives and challenges. My name is Quang and I'm the founder of Overseas Vietnamese, the global community of Vietnamese professionals. To learn more, visit us on OverseasVietnamese.com. Our guest for today's episode is Denise Sandquist. Denise was born 1991 in Hanoi, Vietnam and adopted as a baby to Stockholm, Sweden. When she was 19, she did military service as a military interpreter in interrogator in Russian at what is easiest described as a former elite spy school, then working at the Swedish embassy in Moscow, Russia. She speaks six languages, having lived and worked in China, Thailand and Vietnam, and holds a degree from the Stockholm School of Economics. In 2016, she found her biological mother after her post on Facebook went viral. Denise is the CEO and co-founder of Fika, Vietnam's fastest growing social and dating app. We will hear more about the story and motivation behind this. So let's begin. Denise, thank you for coming to the show today. I'm very excited for the chance to learn more about your fascinating life. Thanks for inviting me and happy to be here. So first question to you, one of the core themes that we often discuss in our community at Overseas Vietnamese is growing up as a Vietnamese in a country where our parents didn't grow up, right? So with you, we have kind of more a special case. We have many, many Vietnamese in the US, in Germany, in Australia, in France, in UK. But now with you, it's a bit different because you were adopted as a baby to Stockholm, Sweden. So my first question here would be, what was it like to grow up as a Vietnamese adoptee in Stockholm? Let us be part of how you grew up. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to compare with. Um, and I say that because when I, when I grew up, I didn't have any Vietnamese friends. So, and I didn't have any Asian friends except for one, one friend, actually. So growing up with maybe not being adopted, but growing up with uh, Vietnamese parents, I, didn't really, I couldn't really compare with that. But, uh, but for me, since I was, I was adopted as a, as a baby, so just uh, three weeks um, when my parents from Sweden came to Hanoi and um, I wasn't back in Vietnam until I was 22, except for that when I was two and a half years old and I went back to Vietnam with my, with my, with my parents and we adopted my little sister. But uh, yeah, uh, Asian looks, uh, Vietnamese looks, but um, everything very Swedish. My parents are very, uh, made me feel very proud to be Vietnamese. We had this, uh, the, the Vietnamese hat, the flags, Vietnamese candy, uh, a lot of things from Vietnam in, uh, in our home, like growing up. And growing up, we always said that uh, Vietnamese people are so nice. You should be really feel proud of, of, your, of your birth country and your, uh, your biological parents, they give you away thanks like due to love because they wanted you to have a better life. So I think that it's very important when you are adopted, how the adoptive parents, how they are dealing with it. If they are comfortable speaking about the, the birth country or like the local parents, but my parents are very, very uh, open to that. So I think that reflects my, my childhood and upbringing as a Vietnamese adoptee a lot. I, I think that, I don't know, like if people would ask me, where are you from or so, I was very proud to say that, yeah, I'm adopted from Vietnam or like I'm from Vietnam and always had, even though I never really had been to the country and I didn't know that much, I always felt this warmth and this, uh, this, this like pride to be originally Vietnamese. 
um, and that followed me like during my my childhood and like in like when I become like a teenager because in, I guess in comparison to if you have maybe Vietnamese parents uh, you can at least say that oh Vietnam is like this or Vietnam I'm, I'm Vietnamese so you like you find your identity as a teenager but for me I didn't I know that the capital was Hanoi and <laughs> I know about rice field the buffalo like I didn't know that much so for me it's like oh Vietnam it would be so it'd be so weird so but I was always very very like confident in being like I'm Swedish but I'm adopted from Vietnam so in terms of like racism or so I think I guess first of all I never felt uh, offended if anyone would ask where, I'm, where I was from and also I always felt I was very proud of like my identity to be adopted from adopted from Sweden so adopted from Vietnam I grew up in Sweden so never experienced racism like uh, hearing, hearing other people's uh, stories and um, their input. I understand that that was quite, uh, I'm very lucky. I always felt that I, I fit in and um, yeah, always felt uh, the way I did. That's how it was for me. That's great to hear. And I'm wondering during your upbringing, when you were growing up as a child in Sweden, was there ever a time or was there ever a feeling of you wanting to explore more about your Vietnamese roots, about your Vietnamese identity? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think um, I have a quite good memory. So I remember when we were back in Vietnam when I was just two and a half years old. And I always wanted to sort of know more about uh, Vietnam. And I always told my, my parents that like in the future, it would be very nice to see my Vietnamese mom. Um, so I always had an interest for, for Vietnam. And I always had a very positive image of, of the country. So I think that, you know, like you have a bucket list of things you want to do in life. And it's really for me, I thought that, okay, I want to do this. I want to study. I want to do this and this and this. Then when I have nothing else to do, I will, I will find my Vietnamese parents. So it is always like so, sometime in my life, I'm going to do that. So I always had something to do. I, I looked at it like in, in, that, in that sense. It was never really anything to, to push that pushed me to Vietnam. And for Vietnamese adoptees, some people, uh, they don't care at all. Uh, and some people, they are very interested. Uh, and some people, they feel a part of them is missing. And I didn't feel that a part of me was missing uh, completely. I just felt like a real, real interest to, to learn more about my birth country. So it's always been there. Uh, not, any, not any trigger, I would say, except for when I was 22. Um, because then I was the same age as my Vietnamese mom was when she gave birth to me. And then I just thought that, well, she wasn't that old as I thought. So that was really when I thought, now is the time to, to go and look for her. Tell us more about the story of finding your biological mother. Yeah, so when I was, I was working at the Swedish embassy in Moscow and I was the same age as, as she was, never been to Vietnam, I, I should look for her. So I came back back into, in, in Vietnam. I came to the hospital where I was born and um, didn't have any information. So I thought, okay, um, now I can speak English, Swedish, Russian, French. Uh, if I can speak Mandarin, it's great if I want to become a diplomat or whatever I want to do in life. And I can also then go back to Vietnam to look for birth parents because I didn't speak any Vietnamese back then. It was very, very confusing for me to be in Vietnam and try to try to find a person. I just know her name, her age, and that she was from a province outside of Hanoi uh, and that she studied finance at university. Um, and then I moved to China, um, moved to China to learn Mandarin, but also to come back to Vietnam because I lived just three hours from the Vietnamese uh, Chinese border. And um, then eventually, uh, Met my, uh, met my ex-boyfriend who was from Haiphong. <laughs> so I was all, always wanted to live in Vietnam for a short while. <laughs> so before I came back to Sweden, I lived in Haiphong actually, after my studies in, 
in China. I lived in Thailand for a bit also doing Thai boxing. And then I lived in Haiphong for eight months. And he was also, of course, like trying to help me to find my Vietnamese uh, parents. It's very difficult to find a person. You know, our last name is Nguyen. So, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Yes. Um, and yeah, it was 2015. And then came, I came back to Sweden. I was, you know, it's, it's, I did some attempts. It wasn't like I dedicated all these two years to try to find her. It's just that I was interested in it. And like when I'm saying her, since she was actually carrying me for nine months, I felt a little bit closer to finding my Vietnamese mom than my Vietnamese dad, even though both would be great. So yeah, coming back to Sweden, Stockholm School of Economics, um, had an internship in Vietnam in 2016. And when I came to in 2016, like I was 25. And um, then I got encouraged by the, by the people that I worked with to post on Facebook. And then I did that. But then um, the next day, like 24 hours later, thousands of shares, Two days later, Tanyan, uh, which is a big newspaper in Vietnam, they, they contacted me. Uh, and then like Wien Express, Ken Boon, like all of these like different newspapers contacted me because they wanted to feature my story. And um, yeah, it became quite big. So a lot of people, uh, they shared my story and also speaking about like social media. So I know that I, I, I expected her to be in finance, maybe in Hanoi. So I was targeting, I did uh, <laughs> Facebook ads, <laughs> targeting people in finance in Hanoi and like in in closer provinces uh, in her age uh, I went quite aggressive I would say with that so it was a big um, big social media push like organic push and just with like some unpopular Vietnamese people because no one would have cared about this of course if they would have shared it I found her 18 days after I posted so she she read about me in one of the biggest uh, newspapers and then she reached out to me and then when she did that she already bought tickets she lives she she lives in Hanoi and she already bought tickets to go to Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, and then we celebrated Christmas together and then she went back again and then we celebrated New Year's. So that is the, that is the story from 2013 to 2016. That's about 1,000 days, I guess. So that is, uh, that's the whole, uh, the 1,000 days, but the final 18 days, they were really intense. So that's how it was. That's beautiful. Can you tell us more about that moment when you finally met her? So um, I was going to pick her up at the airport, but then me and my then boyfriend, we got lost. Very, very good. So we like missed to take uh, the taxi. And so, so I really wanted to pick her up at the airport, but then she had to come to Saigon Pearl. Uh, it's in Ho Chi Minh City, like a apartment complex where, where we stayed. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it like, just like the minutes before she was going to come, I thought that, wow, this is so crazy. Like it's going to come a woman and she's my biological mother and yeah I didn't know how to how to react and I said because you see this these moments on tv sometimes I told my ex-boyfriend to film <laughs> like I just like you wanted to have it recorded <laughs> and then uh, yeah she like rang the doorbell and I was like okay then I was like opening and um, I think that she was so shocked I mean I was also I was quite for me it was easier because I had my friend there I had my damn boyfriend there you know it was like in my apartment sort of and she just comes there and uh, I was gonna give her like a hug, but she, <laughs> she like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like very like, you know, tap my shoulder or something. <laughs> in Sweden, we do, we do hugging a lot, but I don't know. In, uh, so yeah. I think she just had to like, keep it very like, I think it, it was very emotional for her. So she had, she didn't want to like start crying. So she tried to be like, you know, yeah, hold things back. And then yes, she came and it was, uh, yeah, really like surrealistic too. I always imagine like a person who would look like me, but a bit older. 
but uh, yeah, and then uh, we, I couldn't speak any Vietnamese. <laughs> so the communication, um, it was helped by my friend who was, who was translating. But it was very, it was very like a special, a special moment. But, but for me, I think it was easier for me in that like, it was emotional for me as well. But I think for her to see the daughter that she like carried for nine months and then gave away for an injection, never wanted to give away for adoption and to see that that person is like back in, in Vietnam, <laughs> 25 years old and uh, created this life and just like coming into a life. It uh, must have been very something, something special for her, special for me, but I think especially something for her because she had been um, thinking about me just like every day since she gave me away. So, I mean, my life started, you can say in Sweden because I don't have any memories from Vietnam, but her life was already like going on and then she, she gave up a part of herself. So must've been very tough for her. Yeah, must've been. I'm curious about how did you feel about who you have become up until that point in time when you told her about your life so far? Yeah, she was, um, she was she studied finance at university in Hanoi before so I was gonna do um had done an internship at Goldman Sachs before that and was gonna go to London in investment banking for another it's like some summer summer internship and uh, she said she doesn't speak any English so like oh, congratulations <laughs> so uh, she was happy for that and uh, I mean then I didn't speak so much Vietnamese but I spoke five languages anyway and uh, she was like happy like yeah, I mean, it's a nice surprise for her. But what's interesting is that when I met Holmi also about my Vietnamese dad, I never met my Vietnamese dad. So they, they like broke up before, uh, before I was born and he didn't want to take any responsibility. And that is why she had to give my way for adoption. But my Vietnamese dad apparently speaks Russian, Japanese, English and Vietnamese mm-hmm. and um, really likes to do sports. Um, really, he studied at foreign trade university in, in Hanoi before and like very like high achiever, uh, like different cultures and so on. So I think that when she found out more about my life and the person that I had become until, until 25, I think she saw a little bit maybe my Vietnamese dad in me. And uh, <laughs> I think, um, I mean, she's, <clears throat> I mean, she's a grown up woman and so, but of course it's, it's, it must be very painful when you, when you want to keep a child and then you want to, to create something with a person who doesn't want to. So. Uh, I think she was a bit worried maybe that uh, like before she just, she just saw maybe attributes that were similar to my Vietnamese dad. Uh, but then now then she yeah learned more about me as a person. But I think that she was um, surprised and um, uh, impressed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> a little bit impressed maybe. Mm. Could have been anything, right? So, yeah. Right. And you could have been anything, but you decided to become who you become. So let's circle back to your life and talk a bit more about what happened after you studied in Sweden. Because um, I'm trying to understand more of the journey towards when you founded Fika then. A lot happened in between. So let us be part about your life, professional life before Fika. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very a planning person and I'm very strategic. Um, so when I was, uh, when I finished high school, I was before, before, so my mom passed away when I was nine, and that's actually something that shaped me a lot. My 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 Swedish mom, um, and after that she passed away in cancer, and that is something that really also shaped me a lot to become quite independent and so. But I wanted to become a doctor at a young age because I wanted to cure cancer. I wanted to do something about it because I felt so so powerless uh, when that happened, and I would really wanted to become a doctor, study natural science. But then 
by accident I got into this Swedish embassy's like a diplomatic program page. And it was, do you want to change the world? Do you want to discuss interesting questions? And I thought that this is, this is really me. So then I got a mentor at that time and he had done this military service um, and it's military service as military interpreter and interrogating Russian. So it's a quite elite education in Sweden. It's like a former spy school. So Sweden educated spies, you can say in Russian. Um, and we still have that because um, now uh, the Swedish government to recruit from there, Swedish people to work in the Swedish embassy in Moscow. And then I saw my chance to, to get a diplomatic passport and to work in the Swedish embassy at a quite young age. Uh, and I saw that that way was through doing this military service. So when I was in my final year in high school, I did a test to get in there. It's a physical and psychological tests. And I got in. Um, when I studied, some people studied Dari, which is a language you speak in Afghanistan. Some people studied Russian and some people studied Arabic because Sweden then had uh, troops in Somalia to protect against pirates in, in Aden Bay. So you couldn't choose actually the language. Um, and I had, to be honest, I had no interest for Russian at all. I had no interest for Russia. I thought it was a big, cold, scary country. Um, but I also didn't want to go to Afghanistan and I don't want to go to Aden Bay. <laughs> and I really wanted to become a diplomat. So um, I was, uh, uh, luckily I got Russian and uh, I did that. It was very tough. It started with basic military training, you were in the forest, sleeping three hours per night. Uh, you know, they, they try to break you down. It's, uh, it's very tough. It's really the toughest thing I've ever done. And uh, after that, you start to study languages. So you go from that, like extremely intense, uh, to study Russian. And you get 500 new words per week. And you get new grammar. And Russian grammar is really, really, really difficult. I thought that French grammar was difficult, but it's nothing in comparison to Russian grammar. And then every week, every Friday, you have eliminating exams. So you get tested on all the material that you got from the week, but also on all the previous material that you got before. So you can throw in like a random word from week one in the week 19 or 25 uh, and so. And then you have to score on average 97%. If not, you're kicked out. Mm -hmm. um, so this is extremely, extremely challenging and extremely pressuring to every week, basically <laughs> face the fear of uh, being kicked out. And the elimination rate is about 33% or, or more. So people get eliminated during the year. And uh, uh, I managed to, uh, to finish it. So that's also something that really shaped me uh, a lot, of course, because uh, later to study at university or whatever, like no one's going to kick you out if you don't perform really, really badly. And so, so, so after that, I, I moved to Moscow. So I got employed with Swedish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I got the diplomatic passport that I wanted. I was working there with the security, like um, translation at the embassy. Um, worked there for one and a half year. That was the time when I was thinking more about uh, my heritage. Uh, and also in terms of like entrepreneurship, it was these um, two Swedish guys who took a Swedish website to, to Russia. And it was then ended up to becoming one of, one of Russia's biggest websites. And I think when I was 22, I just realized that, oh, okay. Maybe you don't have to reinvent something. You can just take an existing business idea. And if you, if you can execute it well enough, and if you know the market well enough, you can actually, you know, it can work really well. So I think that, that sort of like mindset started when I was in Moscow. And then moving away from there, I just I didn't want to, I wanted to become diplomatic because I wanted to, to change the world. I wanted to make an impact. 
And uh, I just saw that being at the embassy, of course, I wasn't like the top diplomat or anything, but I just saw that, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm not going to become a diplomat anymore. And that is also when I was traveling to Vietnam, just backpacking after finishing my job at the embassy, I thought no matter if I want to become a diplomat or if I want to, to do business, it's always good to know Mandarin. So my choices in life has been very, like, um, like very strategic, I would say. And I've always been trying to, to mix, um, you know, personal experiences with the professional and, and living in China. It's, uh, it's very interesting for me, just being with Asian, Asian people, speaking Mandarin, just because I'm on the outside, I'm Vietnamese, but on the inside, now more, more, more Asian, but for just like very Swedish. And to learn about different cultures and at the same time, like learning these important languages. And I think that like when I've been in a country, when I was in China, for example, I, I looked at the market a lot. I tried to understand the people a lot. And that's also why when I came to when I came to Vietnam later, I had a short stop in Thailand and also doing Thai boxing. So I placed actually second in the Swedish kickboxing ships uh, three years ago now. But wow. for me, it's always been about like challenging myself. So I was doing Thai boxing. I started to do Thai boxing in Moscow. I wanted to find a sport to really push myself, push my limits and challenge myself. And I had a fight uh, in, in Thailand, like a full contact Muay Thai fight. So I was with, uh, against a girl who had 50, 50 previous fights. And that was my first fight. And I won on knockout in the second round, actually. So for a long time, I had one win, <laughs> one fight and one knockout. Um, and I think that, that you know, like it, it says a lot about the way I look at life and how I just like, you know, I just, I just go for it. Uh, and what's the worst thing that can happen? And I think that that fearlessness and that's just not like fearless, I, get, I don't know what I'm doing, but like the fearlessness and also the strategic mindset about like doing things. I think that has helped me a lot in life and living in Thailand, living in China, meeting my then ex-boyfriend who I met in China, who was from Haiphong actually, uh, living together with him in Haiphong for eight months. People nowadays, they don't understand why I live in Haiphong <laughs> for eight months. But for me, it was, um, I mean, I live a different life now, like more like expat, this kind of life. And, uh, but what I really wanted back then was really to understand Vietnamese culture, Vietnamese people. I really like to, to just be with, just like be with local Vietnamese who didn't speak that much English, even though it was, it was super tough for me uh, to, to get like, um, to talk to people. And um, that was like my life before I came back to, to Sweden. And all the time when I've been, I think they're setting these years between like 20 to 25, you set a lot of personality. And uh, I think a lot of people, they may be, I mean, nowadays, maybe they see me as a you know, businesswoman or like a CEO of Fika, which is of course me as well. But uh, maybe a lot of people, they don't. It's like, okay, she speaks a lot of languages. But the thing is that I didn't, I didn't learn a lot of languages because I wanted to be this person who speaks a lot of languages. Actually, it's because I was, I'm very curious as a person. I really wanted to understand people. And I think that combining all these things and then coming back to, to the Stockholm School of Economics um, when I was 24, I just had a different mindset because I was older. Um, I had been around, as, <laughs> as you said. And um, yeah, I had, um, like when studying, I had this like just mindset that there's another world out there. And it's uh, like, I use the things that I, I learned to just think about what would be possible to solve? What can I do? And of course, I was very into management, consulting, investment banking, as, as many people when you study at like a business school. Um, and, but I was very lucky to be able to take these. Um, I already built my CV quite well before I started university, being five years older than other people. 
So I could get different internships and I could uh, try out different things. And I didn't have to prove myself in terms of grades so much. Um, if you expect for myself, I didn't have to get A in, in, in all subjects or not like all subjects, it was more like average level, uh, I would say. And I was also so blessed with having people, my friends already went, they went straight from, from uh, high school to university and they were working in investment bank or management consulting or, or startup and so And then I could really ask them, like, how is it? Like, what, what is fun? What is not fun? And, and, and everything. So, yeah, that is my, um, that is my journey, like, uh, overall in my, in my 20s. And I think that since I had that journey, just focusing a lot on understanding people, understanding my heritage, and just being very proud also to be, I'm very, like, I'm Swedish, but I also have, I'm Vietnamese, sometimes I say I'm Vietnamese. And just to understand different cultures and understand different people, I think that now when doing business, like with Fika and it's a social dating, it's, um, it's about, you know, you have to create relationships with people. It's like nowadays it's called networking, I think. <laughs> and, and just be able to like connect with people and to, to have something to talk to with, with people. I think that uh, sometimes people can say, oh, you, you're good at networking or like you're good at, uh, you know, creating relationships and so and I think that me as a person, I'm very interested in, in people. I'm actually very interested in like understanding people. And I think that, of course, I always learn some new things. But I think since I took these years, just really trying to understand people different from myself, from different cultures, I think that helped me a lot um, until today. So, yeah, that's my, my journey. Thanks for sharing, Denise. And I think before talking about Fika, I would be very curious to ask, where do you think this comes from, that you always wanted to go into these challenging environments such as military training, Thai boxing with Thai, where do you think this originated that you always wanted to be in these environments and could thrive in these environments? Yeah, it's, a, it's also such an interesting question. And that is also why I really wanted to find birth parents because you don't know how different you are, right? Uh, when you go up. And I thought a lot about like uh, genes and, and different things and my, my parents in Sweden and, and everything. And I think that um, the reason why I am the way I am is so first of all, genes, I think, um, is, plays a certain role because uh, both my Vietnamese parents are, uh, had quite easy to, to learn things. And I got like easiness to learn from, from them. I know that my Vietnamese dad, he did a lot of sports, for example, obviously had very easy to learn languages. I had no idea about that it would run in the genes to learn like languages. And, and I think, I don't know if it's appetite for risk or whatever to push yourself, but I think that's, I mean, I would guess that some things could maybe be a little bit in, in the genes. Uh, and then I think that that combined with growing up with two loving parents who never put any pressure on me, never said that to, you have to study, you have to be, you have to do something. Uh, just like do whatever you want to, whatever makes you happy. Um, like uh, you want to study at university, good. You don't want to study at university. Okay, that's fine. It's like, it's your life, you decide. And that in combination with internally, like the personality that I have, it became very good because I think that, I don't know, if someone would have pushed me even harder, maybe I would have, it would have been too much. I don't know. Uh, you, you never know. And I think that, like, I always thought that it was a combination between that and like my genes. Um, because it's always been, I'd always like to win. I always like to challenge myself. I always like to, I always like to push myself. And I thought that, yeah, but I mean, if you're naturally quite good at sports, if you're naturally quite good at studies, then, well, of course, you used to be the best. So, I mean, then you get an appetite for it and you continue to, to perform. But I really also think that 
some people can be very, you know, you can be smart, you can have a lot of things for free, you can say. But I think that like this inner thing that's, you know, why I always want to push myself more and want to military service or, or Thai boxing and these kind of things. It's, uh, I think it really has to do with when my mom uh, passed away when I was nine. And I realized that more like, uh, like later years, uh, or like more like recently, because I think that if you face something like that, it's like, it's, it's such a trauma and the pain that you feel, it's, it's so tough. And when you understand that, that nothing, you, you go, I mean, either it can break you or maybe it can break you, but you heal and you become stronger. And I think for me, I just really understood how fragile life is and that you can take nothing for granted and you don't know how many years you have left on this, on this earth. And uh, I just saw like a person who really wanted to become like, she wanted to be a mom. She probably like planned, you know, growing old with my dad, you know, like adopting these two, two girls from Vietnam. And you saw that, you know, one day it didn't exist anymore. And I think that when you, when you face that kind of pain and just like everything, everything becomes so easy actually, because if you have the maybe capabilities that I would have like with, with genes and just like environment and so, and you also are facing that like, yeah, this is, this is what tough is. And you realize that nothing in life that you're going to face is going to ever going to hurt you as much as that, that, like, uh, that feeling. Then if you can use that, you just become like sort of invincible, I would say. And I think that overall it's about fearlessness and willingness to push yourself and to do, to do more. And for me, it's always been, I also felt actually with also like with another, the other perspective that I'm adopted from Vietnam, even though it's not like I'm like kissing, <laughs> kissing the ground in Sweden, like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Like I should, so, should feel so thankful. But at the same time, I always know that it would be a parallel reality if I wouldn't have gotten adopted, if I would have stayed in Vietnam and who knows, like maybe I would be at an orphanage and maybe I would, you know, you never know. And I know that there are many people, I know that there were many people in Vietnam that would have loved to go, go to Sweden, like free education of the possibilities. So I think that also this fact that, that I know that I am adopted and I know that I'm so, I'm so happy to having gotten the parents that I got and just like with everything. And I think that also have made me maybe think that, okay, if I, if I a natural easier to learn certain things, if I got these possibilities and, and this life, it would be a shame not to, not to make the most of it. So I think that these, these four things I would say um, are, the, are the reason. Very interesting self-reflection there. And yeah, now the tough independent girl went on to become a tech founder in Vietnam. Tell us more about the story of Fika. How did the idea come about? Yeah. Um, it's like both personal and, and business. So uh, from, from personal part of view, because I think it started with that. Uh, when I found my Vietnamese mom, it was through like social media, actually through people who helped me to connect with her. And I started to think more about meaningful connections. How, how can you find someone that you would really be suitable with and connected with? And at the same time, I was feeling so, so grateful to, to the Vietnamese people. I already came to Vietnam because I was interested in the marketing, market opportunity. But then seeing all these people, these strangers me, and I really thought that it would be great to do something in Vietnam for Vietnamese, like in, in some way help. And at the same time, in 2016, I was 25. So then I had girlfriends asking me to introduce them to someone like, you know, someone to introduce me to. And I started dating apps said, I don't know, feels a little bit unsafe, um, feels more like hookup. Uh, I don't think I can really find someone there, you know. And at the same time, as I lived in Asia for a while, and I know this pressure that people can feel after they pass 25, but actually all the time, uh, go back during Lunar New Year, Tet Holiday, and people are asking you, 
when you're getting married, having kids. And even though, I mean, I didn't grow up with Vietnamese culture in that sense, but I have friends now telling me, and I can just imagine that it's very stressful, even though you're like, you joke about it and so. Yeah. And that was the, the, per, the personal way. So I felt about, that was like what really sparked this thing that like, how come that what we have on the market right now are dating apps that are losing money, basically, if you find your boyfriend and girlfriend, because then you take them away. And how come, and then that means indirectly that they aren't so optimized for you to find someone that you would be suitable with. So that was the whole like base idea. And I came back to Sweden and I already uh, know my co-founder then, Oscar, because we were the project managers for Scandinavia's biggest student project together. So I was from the Stockholm School of Economics and Oscar, he was from the Royal Institute of Technology. So we, I talked to him about my experience in Vietnam and just like uh, things happening there. I was still thinking about management consulting, investing back. And we, we just got our eyes open more for like entrepreneurship and startups. So in Sweden, we have this list over like uh, rich, uh, rich people. And then uh, it was two, two people there and they, they had founded this uh, dating app uh, in China called uh, Tantan. Um, and uh, it started in 2015. And then they got acquired for 680 million USD uh, by a social company called Momo in 2018. So that's, that's quite fast. Um, and um, I mean, uh, sometimes you have to see that other people do it to just uh, understand that, okay, I can, I can also do it. And what's funny with these people is that there's a couple and uh, the guy, he has uh, his first generation Swedish as my co-founder, Chinese parents. He studied at the Royal Institute of Technology as my co-founder uh, did. And he met his wife who did her MBA at the Stockholm School of Economics where I studied. And then they yeah, had Chinese heritage doing this in China. And since I lived in China for, since my co-founder is Chinese, Swedish, we know about the similarities between China and Vietnam. And then we did more research and we could just see that, I mean, Vietnam is growing. Uh, there are many similarities between the cultures and people are meeting more online than offline now in the US and it's gonna spread all over the world. So just because dating apps and like meeting someone online maybe isn't like so popular right now in Vietnam that doesn't mean that the trend is gonna is gonna go there it's just that you have to just that you have to make a product that resonates well with the market and you have to execute it in a, in a good way so so starting Fika it was a mix between like personal and also market and like business opportunity and um, Oscar has a background in AI machine learning so the idea was sort of to collect a lot of data and then be able to individualize uh, the matchmaking process more. And then also create an app that is safer, um, safer for especially like women feel safer. So at Fika, you have to verify yourself to be able to, to use the app. And that is just a thing that, uh, yeah, to make it more like with these kind of things, like more features, make it more targeted to the Asian audience. So the base idea of Fika was more to uh, create a dating app that would be a social dating app that we targeted for, for, for Vietnamese market initially. I wanted to start in Vietnam because of development costs, because I mean, 31 is the medium, medium age and um, uh, social pressure. And just, uh, I mean, Vietnam was close to me. Vietnam seemed like a great market to start in. But now FIC has grown into, I mean, just, just before it was just, yeah, just make, um, let's make a Vietnamese like a dating app too into something so much bigger. And now, now it's about, we want to we focus on self-growth in the apps. So also for my personal experience about like knowing yourself and then we know yourself. So we have personality testing in Fika, we're adding in like Zodiac. We're going to add in more things so you can see, okay, so I'm born 
5.30 p.m. in Hanoi, the 17th of January, 91. And at that date, the sun was standing in this position. You know, this is my element. This is my, you know, lucky number. And, you know, in, in Vietnam and Asian cultures, that is more important than maybe like in Germany and Sweden. So it's more about helping people to like understand more about themselves. And then we can, we have created a lot of content now. So then based on who you are, you can get a lot of, you know, individual content as you say, like Netflix, uh, articles, we're going to produce our, our uh, like YouTube uh, podcast channel like later. And then just like guiding people into, okay, you are like this. And then finding out about what would you like to, to have and what you want in life. And then once you have a lot of data, because it's all about data, when you have a lot of data on people, you would eventually be able to push people up inside of FICA that would be suitable for you. Um, and then it's not like, it's not like we said, hey, you have to use FICA to find your husband, you know, or your wife immediately. It's like, it's really up to you. And it's never going to be like you open up FICA or any other app and say, oh, this is the love of my life. It's never going to be like that because, I mean, if you want to do something more like romantic with a person, it's about physical attraction, it's about chemistry, it's about like sense of humor, a lot of things that you have to meet. But something that we can do is anyway to, with the use of a lot of data, with like creating a product, especially, and also for dating apps, you have to attract female users because 25% of the biggest dating app users, uh, user base are females. Uh, a very famous like female focused app, like 32% of the users are females. And you have to get, like, you have to create a product that the girls would resonate with and feel safe and feel that it's okay for them to be there. Uh, and that would create a better environment, both for, for men and women, like heterosexual, like, you know, whatever it is, you know? And then you create a product that will have a lot of data that resonates well with them. Because, I mean, if I talk to maybe guy friends, they would be like, uh, I'm not so interested in Zodiac or like, I never had any guy friend asking me what date and what time I'm born. But that doesn't really matter because the product we're creating is very female focused. I'm a woman, we have a 50% like female team. So we're creating a, pro a product that like resonates well with, with women. And then it's not that we're excluding guys, everyone is welcome. And it's more like, you know, with a lot of data on people and the more we know about people, the better that we can guide people basically. So then with, the, with a lot of data, you see, okay, Kwang used Fika, but we have another guy who's similar to your profile who used Fika before. We can see that he has a lot of, he seems to send a lot of messages and seems to go to many dates with this, uh, with this type of girl. And then we can push you up together. And from Fika, just, just being like a date, we look at it more as like get meaningful connections. So in Fika, you can put that. We don't push it that much now, but you can do it in upcoming months. But you can put like networking, friends, uh, relationship, like casual, because, you know, you never know sometimes what you're going to be with a person until, you know, after, after a while. But you can know anyway that maybe you're going to vibe well together. And then you meet up with Fika, uh, like through Fika, and that we're adding in these dating for suggestions upcoming months also. So then I mean, for you and me now, you're in Singapore, I'm here in Vietnam, but if you would be in Ho Chi Minh City, you would be in district, this district, I'm in this district, it's always going to be the struggle, like where are we are going to meet, what's suitable for you, what you eat, what don't you eat. And then since we will be pairing up with different, we don't go for scale, we go for the best ones. So cafes, restaurants, hotels, we can say that, okay, Quang, Denise, uh, you like, this is, this is your style. Uh, Denise, you added your calendar, like Quang, you added your, your calendar. And then uh, why don't you go to district one at this like uh, this restaurant? You get a uh, 15% discount and click here and we do the booking for you. And then with the gamification. So the more you book through Fika, you can earn points in the app. The more you can accumulate points and like our relationship, maybe, I mean, we are just friends, but we can still build on our like friendship relationship like, together, like collecting points together in Fika. And then a big difference is that with the problem with dating apps of all the business model is that if you're successful, 
as a dating app, people will delete the app because then they will find a boyfriend and girlfriend to delete the app. But the thing is that this is also something very different from like European culture with like Vietnamese culture that on the lifestyle apps in Vietnam, the top lifestyle apps are couples apps. And it's very simple. It's a photo of you and your partner and then how many days you've been together. And people really like that. And when I say people, uh, mostly girls are the ones that have these apps because they like to, to look at them and say, oh, I've been together for 65 days. And, and so we're just counting, you know, feeling love. And that is the MVP, the minimal viable product of our couples version that we released a couple of days ago. If you meet, for example, a girl or like, you know, you meet a person that you want to create a meaningful relationship with, then you can go through in the in the couples version. So actually you don't have to, you don't have to delete Fika. And of course, if you're in a relationship with someone, then other people cannot see you, you know, so you enter like another mood of that. And then looking at how we look at like the full journey relationship, it's one thing, it's very difficult to find someone that you would be suitable with. And it's also a difficulty to, to stay together. Divorce rate in, in Scandinavia is like 56%. I mean, life is, uh, life is changing fast. And to stick together is like another challenge and, um, and really think that there's more to do there. So you can, you can add in like couples therapy and things like that, but also like, you know, fun things as, you know, I've been together for this amount of time. Hey guys, like after three months, after three months, um, you know, the, the love feeling like disappears, you know, in love feeling. So then it's great if you, you know, you get like, you give different advice to people, like, you know, our generation, like not in a super serious way, but you know, it can be, it depends on the couple, you know, how much, how much you want to learn. And then also what do couples like to do, go to runs, go away on weekends together. And when you're going to book things, because everything is about data and about individualization, when you're going to make a decision, you're either going to talk to a person who knows you very well, your taste, or you're going to talk to a person who, who knows the area very well, or you go to TripAdvisor or whatever. And the thing is that if you and your girlfriend, you're using Fika and we have data on you, we know that you guys, you like, you like this kind of restaurant, you like this kind of hotel, this is your style. And you are so busy because we're so busy with our lives. And then Fika comes because we know you. And we say, hey, go to this, uh, go to the book this hotel in Danang. You get the 40% discount. You click here. And of course, like uh, business, I mean, we take a cut there. And then from the B2B perspective, we can say to, to a lot of like um, yeah, B2B players that we're having this, this user base uh, that maybe this are the spending habits, or like this is what they like. And so, and since we also care about our users, we want, of course, F&B, if and b if it's like that. We wanted to give the best, best experiences and then we can get like discounts. So overall, like we look at Fika, it started out <laughs> as just uh, a dating app for, for the like initially Vietnamese and like Asian market. But like the more I got into the dating relationship area and also myself, like with my personal, like things that changed in my life, like the way you look at, look at dating is like, for example, me. So I broke up with my, with my ex like six months ago. And before I was maybe looking for something else, maybe looking for like now something, something else. And the thing is that, so I've been trying out the different dating apps for one and a half year now or more. And a lot of guys that I said no, maybe it was no, I mean, before I was in a relationship, but like, I mean, maybe a person that said, no, 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 I don't like them, but maybe he would change profile picture. Maybe what I'm looking for is of course different today than maybe a couple of months ago. And it's a very like a 2012 approach, I would say, because and now I think we still also have this like swiping screen, but it's a very like uh, old approach, I think, to, okay, you, you turn down a person. It's like you make decision in a couple of seconds. And what if the person changes photo, you know, things happen in your life because we are dynamic as people. And that is why like the whole way that like I'm seeing that we are seeing like connections and how we, how we connect, it's, it's going to be so more that we have than that we have right now. So ideally you would have like a history screen. So, and then with our A, you can say that, hey, 
she changed profile picture like like we, we have more information about this person actually you know based on who you are this would be like a good person you, you turned it down before that maybe it will work out well and i think that this is the future of uh, how to connect and like relationships and we need something like this like these days because people are spending so much money on psychologists therapists because people want to understand themselves People want to understand how their childhood affected them and people also, you know, couple therapy and a lot of different things. And everything starts with yourself. So it's about creating a product that can, you know, that people trust, especially women. You collect a lot of data and you can create a lot of different things. And I think that it's like to, to end this long talk about Fika. So I think that um, we start with Vietnam, but when Fika is about and the biggest dating app is in Sweden for my single friends right now who are using that to find someone, I think that we can take, take Fika Global. And that is the thing with being a tech product because we have over 1 million downloads now in, in mainly in Vietnam, but actually we have about 20,000 downloads all over the world. I have no idea how people found Fika. We're not targeting any market and we're not really targeting. So if you're in Germany or whatever, don't have too high expectations uh, because we don't really target those markets. But that is the thing, that is the, this is, that is the cool thing with doing tech because we're already everywhere. And when we are ready, product-wise, like branding-wise, and what we are, what, what, you know, what we want to bring to the table, then we can just press, press the button, right? And then we expand globally. Yeah, I see you're very passionate about Fika and what you're doing. And one thing that I would want to know, we already talked about the specificity of Vietnam in terms of dating. You said people like are into zodiac signs, into these couple apps. So when you started Fika, What other Vietnamese specific things did you observe that you would have to adjust the app to back then in order to cater to the Vietnamese market, especially for females? And kind of ask more broadly now, how do young Vietnamese nowadays love and find love? Mm. Yeah, oh, those female, female things it's about the security. So we wanted to make a safe app and like what is safe. So basically mandatory verification, And also something that you, that everyone that's just a consumer product needs to think about, or like, especially if you do a social and dating app, it's like, you are not better than your users. So if your users upload a lot of manga photos or photos of coffee cups, well, then that is the impression that people are going to get. So that is why we're having operators that are not only verifying if the person is real or not. So it's like, we, like you upload a selfie and have to upload at least one photo. But it's, they're also verifying that you don't upload any offensive pictures and, and that everything holds a certain quality. And that is also something, I mean, for user experience, a female user, I mean, of course we cannot, we try to like the different measurements inside of the app to like report function and so-and-so like guarantee like safety, but it's more like um, we can anyway guarantee that everyone is real. And I think that is a big problem for like for every, all dating app users, especially for female users that they don't feel, they don't know who's behind the account. But now we can say, okay, we cannot guarantee if this is a bad guy or a good guy, bad girl, good girl, but we can even say that this person is real. And that creates a certain trust. And like small things as um, I would say like uh, Zodiac. Um, Zodiac is something that I always know that Vietnamese people are more interested in, especially women. Uh, sort of like understanding personality. I have so many Vietnamese uh, girlfriends that are asking me and asking like, when is the guy born? You know, when is like really like the date in the, in the city and so. Um, and also to, I mean, female, users are more interested in reading like articles I would say about the relationships just like understanding relations a bit, a bit more so that is also where we're catering we're adding in similar as Netflix our own content inside of the app so those are like feature wise and I would say that for Fika right now 75% of our users are 18 to 24 because the strategy we want to do is like you rather 
you rather go for the young people, young, young hip people first. So you don't create something that feels like old because now I'm anyway, like just turned 31. So we, we, we went for the 1824 and um, it's, um, they are so much, I think the reasons why we got so many downloads so, so quick and it's because people are so curious like uh, these days. It's maybe if you are, it depends on where, you, where you're from, but you're obviously targeting Washington City and Hanoi um, mostly. And that people nowadays that we have, we have so many downloads from like these younger people. And it just shows that people are more interested to, you know, connect, connect and like do it just like in a fun way. People nowadays, they have TikTok, of course, they have Facebook and they're so like active online that people want to share. People want to share and they want to be seen and they want to, um, they want to express who they are. And that is why adding in personality tests and different things, it's just another way to express like more about who they are. So the way that people like in Vietnam, it's changing so fast. It's, uh, I mean, I didn't go up here, but just looking at when I was here like a couple of years ago and how my friends were dating and then we having a lot of young people, many Gen Z at Fika, and you're seeing how open-minded they are in terms of that. I mean, maybe before I think you said that people would say, oh, at 25, you should sort of start to get married and so. And of course, a lot of people think that that's still, but now if you speak to, to younger people, they're more, career oriented especially women and they this about being like a single mom I mean when I was born in 91 that wasn't so okay and that is also why my Vietnamese mom made the decision to to give me for adoption but even though there are differences between north and south it's still that you can see that people are so much more like open-minded and there is not like um, people have access to so much media YouTube I mean Facebook like the news and it's so interesting to see how young Vietnamese people, they're so thirsty in learning more, learning English, learning about different trends. I mean, Sweden has been talking about equality and about recyclable things, you know, about these things for like so many years. And in Vietnam, like a couple of years ago, everyone was using cash when paying. And now people are like paying, like, you know, people have cars, it's, it's been so fast. And, and Vietnamese people are so adaptable and Vietnamese people are so curious, I, I would say. And to see like how people are connecting these days, people are so much more open-minded. And of course, like in, in Asian culture, parents have maybe something, <laughs> things to say, but just seeing how people are just like being more independent. Uh, a lot of people in Vietnam would like to maybe study abroad, uh, learn a new language and uh, maybe travel more. And all these things just shows that you want to focus actually on yourself, like a little bit like self-development. Who do you want to become before you become you and another person because maybe like society tells you something so this is what we can see in in trends in vietnam and uh, we have been targeting 18 to 24 so we see like the trends is like very they're like very trendy fun like this kind of material that we, we're using the tone of voice with fit is really like uh, it's resonating with them and now actually now we, we target more 25 and up um and i think that the the way that people maybe like our age or like my age we look at uh, dating apps I mean we grew up with them that is the thing so even though in Vietnam maybe it wasn't that uh, socially accepted before I mean the biggest dating app came in 2012 that was 10 years ago now so we have known about them for a very long time so the way that we connect and also Facebook is extremely big in Vietnam some people are just like using Facebook and Facebook also added in their the dating feature so just like the way that to look at how people connect how extremely tech savvy young Vietnamese people are and some people are running their businesses with their, with their smartphones. And these are, these are the trends that you can see in Vietnam and it's going so fast. And that is why 
when we thought about starting Fika, when I was talking to friends, we were like, uh, no, don't think that dating app will work so well. But look at it now. Yeah, interesting. And you talked about the trend of especially women becoming more independent, people moving away from the traditional married with 25 and settling thinking. But to go more into detail, like how does the sequential process of dating look like in Vietnam? How do Vietnamese meet? How do they date? What's the first date, second date look like? And how does that move towards a relationship? And how does that whole process compare to the West? Yeah, it really depends on, on age. Like, and of course, I mean, we, and I, I heard, um, it's, very, it's very interesting how, how people in different age groups are, are dating. And I don't know if you know about Circle K or like these kind of like uh, 7-Eleven, these kind of shops. But apparently it's uh, among young people, a lot of people have their first date at just like something like that. It's very like low budget, like uh, just, I mean, just something like cheap, just like to meet up. It's very like casual. And I mean, the way that I look at the date, maybe I wouldn't meet a guy like on like 7-Eleven or something like that. But I mean, that's just how young people can, you know, can meet up. Mm-hmm. And people are sure like they can meet up like through friends. It's a lot about, about friends, uh, Facebook, like adding and so um so for young people it's very like a casual like going drink uh, milk tea uh, maybe you like someone maybe you uh, you know you go for can be a 7-eleven and something like you know you have less money and like you know yeah it's, it's more like a casual it's not like just a big thing i would say it's not like i mean maybe back in the days that uh, you're asking someone on a date and it's you know i don't know if you look up at dinner and uh, yeah so That's, that's, that's for younger people. People are very curious and we're like very, very social and like each other. And every, like the younger generation, they're so online. So they're texting, like they're living a part of lives online. So, you know, they have like chat apps and like they have like groups and um, yeah. So dating doesn't have to be so, I mean, I would call it dating because it's still like, you know, maybe, maybe like people that could maybe romantically like each other. So that is like how people can, yeah, come together. For example, like in, in many bigger cities in, in Vietnam, But then looking at um, looking at like older people. Um, it's interesting because some people are still like, you know, against maybe like meeting someone online. And I think everyone wants to meet someone through a friend. That would be nice. But uh, people also realize that, you know, you're busy with working and um, cannot always meet someone through, through a friend, even though that would be uh, optimal. And these are the people that we are like targeting now. So um I say like 18 to 24 that's more the maybe like uh, the chill style and they've had the young professionals 25 up to 30 and they're focusing on the career and then maybe meet someone through a friend and so if that's possible and then we having people who are like uh, uh, um, older uh, as, as me maybe and um, the way people meet here it's uh, that's that's sort of thing where people can start to get a bit stressed uh, in uh, especially women And um, it's uh, the way I see it is I look at my friends a lot and my friends' friends. And um, everyone wants to meet through friends. Mm. But um, I don't think everyone is open about that they have registered maybe on Fika and so. But soon it's going to be more okay because that's the thing we want also, that it should be my, you know, socially accepted. It should be socially accepted to be on a social and dating app. It shouldn't be any shame in wanting to meet someone for something. But I think that there's an interesting question because I think when I meet people like uh, in their 30s, uh, girls, and, and maybe they want to meet someone and I said, okay, do you try any, any dating app? And uh, 
it's still like you know this little reluctancy and it's like uh, sometimes i don't think that you, you tell even your friends that you're like on, on an app uh, so i think that now targeting like um, once again like local vietnamese people i think uh, our job is really to to make it more like take away the stigma around uh, around being around like being on a social and dating app and that is also with, with everything with people so that we want to be very like targeting the vietnamese market and you have to you have to speak in a way like the brand and like everything you have to you have to resonate with with the people you want to target and i really think that it's uh it's quite crazy that right now we're having we're having campus brand ambassadors from uh, like top universities in vietnam that are uh that like working with us and um if you look at it it says yeah it's like a dating app but no fika is so much more than just a dating app because if we just be like a dating app maybe people didn't want to feel the love that they do for fika and feel that feel like empowered and uh and everything that comes from Fika. But I think that the track we are on right now, it's, um, it's, quite, um, it's quite positive. So yeah, overall, people are dating in different ways, uh, different ages. And I think that we, what we want to do, we don't want to go for only 18, 24. We want to go for, for everyone over 18. And the most important thing is that creating a product that people trust, that people feel that it's totally socially acceptable to be at, and also trusted enough so that they can, they can trust our judgment in uh, creating a good AI algorithm and then pair them up with people that would be suitable. Mm-hmm. So you are in this for the long game with Vika. Where do you see yourself in five years? Specifically, do you see yourself living in Vietnam? Is this home to you? So in five years, I think that uh, I would like to have the opportunity to continue to live in Vietnam. And I think that everyone wants the best for your, for your baby, your start to your company. So like to take it public, that would be amazing. I mean, whatever would happen, like five years is a long time, especially when you're running very fast with, with what you're doing. But I think that um, now I can speak Vietnamese um, and I can definitely see myself start to create a family in Vietnam. Um, I think it's quite cool that you can get uh, certain help with uh, your kids here with like nanny. And so I think that I always gonna be a person who would work uh, a lot, I think. So that would be amazing. And I think that my parents in Sweden are getting older, um, my, my, my dad and my, my stepmom. So I definitely would like to have a certain life when I can, I can you know, I can, I can move as I, as I want to. And I, sometimes I meet the Viet Qs in, in Ho Chi Minh City and I'd be, I'm quite inspired by some of them. They are, they are um, I mean, doing their business in Vietnam at the same time, they like, you know, they make it work. US, Vietnam, very like uh, far away. But they seem, they seem to like it. It seems to, to work quite well. So I think that since I'm naturally, I'm Vietnamese now, and I'm also like Swedish. Um, so I got friends here now, many friends. I got many friends back in Sweden. Um, and I don't want to choose uh, completely. I think the, t- the time, five years plus, when, when I would hopefully have, have kids, and I think uh, maybe you have to take them into consideration, maybe not like, ah, just like move here, like go here and stuff, because it, I think that it would be tough when um, you grow up. But I think that uh, as long as uh, I can make a choice, I would like to, you know, not make a choice completely. I want to like to live in different countries, Sweden, Vietnam. And then when I have to make a choice, then it's, uh, I guess, uh, then it's not only the niece in the life, then it's maybe like family. So then I have to discuss with them. Yeah. I hope so, certainly for you. Um... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> maybe as... Your final question, what, what do you love about living in Vietnam? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's really good. I really love to live in, in Vietnam. And the reasons are, 
like Vietnamese people are so also friendly and so helpful, I would say. Life becomes better in Vietnam by every day when your Vietnamese improves, when my Vietnamese improves, life becomes easier and better. Life is so extremely convenient in Vietnam. You can take taxi anywhere uh, you can. I mean, it depends on your budget, right? But it's quite, it's very affordable to take taxi anywhere. Nightlife is great. You're having like amazing restaurants. Uh, if you live as an more like a like foreigner expat as I do, I mean, accommodation if I compare it to Sweden, like we have pool, we have gym, we have tennis court. And, and this is not something used for like a small, you can, there are so many facilities here that you can live in that, that have these, 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 these kind of things. And when it comes to, um, yeah, when it comes to, I think like everything is, the most important thing is that you have friends. And I think that right now, I met so many nice, uh, inspiring people that, uh, that are my friends and just that, you know, people that I can trust. And that's so, that's so important. And I think that my life quality in Vietnam, it's so much, plus I, I don't like the Swedish weather with the, the bit cold and the darkness. And here in Vietnam, the sun goes up um, 5.45 every morning, goes down like 6 p.m. sort of. That's amazing. And it's always summer if you live in Ho Chi Minh City. And that's just really, really amazing. And like, I think everyone gets affected by the weather. And I mean, if you are, I mean, you can, it, it's, it's, it's really good. I think you can have such a good life here. And especially if you are a VietQ and if you speak some Vietnamese, amazing. Because then people, you speak Vietnamese, you understand the culture a bit more. And then you will also be so attractive on the job market, like potentially what, depending on what you want to do. So I think um, my life in Vietnam is, is great. And uh, I can really encourage other people, like you, <laughs> more people to, to come to Vietnam and, and try it out, especially Ho Chi Minh City, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a plan of mine to be in Vietnam in the near future. Good, looking forward. Denise, thank you so much for sharing all your stories. Very, very interesting. I've learned a lot. And uh, see you anytime soon in Vietnam, hopefully. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Thanks everyone for listening. If you found this interesting, share our podcast with your friends. To get in touch with our team or to join the Overseas Vietnamese community, visit OverseasVietnamese.com. We run a vibrant online community for Vietnamese people from all over the world, where we chat about a wide range of topics, from career growth and personal development, to Vietnamese culture and economy, and much, much more. We are a family looking out for each other and growing together. See you there and in the next episode.